Good morning. Today's scripture reading is Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 to 14. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways and I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. This is the word of the Lord. Good. My name's Silas. I, uh, I was here about a month ago, and it's awesome to be back here. Big thanks to Pastor Lee back in the States. Apparently, he's taken about an 11-hour drive across the country, I think, is uh, what Braden was telling me. So I'm not sure if he'll be listening at the moment, but maybe later. Um, thank you for that reading. Uh, this year, I've been uh, fortunate enough to work through the whole book of Hebrews uh, with my Bible study at Subi Church. And this book of Hebrews, it's a rich book. It's full of verses about faith, about hope, and about understanding where Jesus fits in to the Old Testament and where Jesus fits in to Jewish history. I can highly recommend this book of the Bible. I give it five out of five stars. Um, The specific struggles of the Hebrew church was particularly about changing their ways from their Jewish roots to find a new hope in Christ and a different way to worship God. Some of these early Christians would fall back into their Jewish ways. And the author, the the preacher here in Hebrews, is challenging them not to harden their hearts against God. And that is what we're going to be, hopefully, unpacking this morning. So I want you to just think to yourself of a what not to do situation, a what not to do situation. You're probably thinking of some things in politics at the moment. There's been a few examples of what not to do when you're a leader of a country. Um, Perhaps you're thinking back to your childhood, maybe something your parents would always tell you. For us, it was don't throw lemons in the backyard because of that time when my brother threw a lemon at me and I went straight through a window. Or or you're thinking about your workplace. Maybe you're thinking about the what not to do in the workplace. When you want to say something about what you really think about your job, 
Don't hit reply all, just reply. Easy mistake to make, big consequences. There's all sorts of what not to do situations that you can probably think of right now. In our passage this morning, we are reminded of one of the ultimate what not to do situations from the history of Israel. We're being warned not to do what this particular generation did thousands of years ago. So we've got a bit of a a long text here this morning, uh, and we're going to work our way through a few parts of it, and we're going to start in the middle of our reading, and that's in verse 7 and 8. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. The rebellion we're talking about goes all the way back to Exodus. The Israelites, the Jewish people, they were slaves in Egypt, suffering under the power of the Egyptians, suffering persecution, even suffering genocide. But God wanted to free his people. So God spoke to Moses in the burning bush and he commanded him to go to Pharaoh and ask him to let my people go. You might be picturing Prince of Egypt, the movie right now, and the cartoon, and some of the songs from that are coming back to your mind, so that's fine, picture that. When Moses approached Pharaoh, Pharaoh replies, no. So God brings down these plagues, plagues of frogs, of locusts, of blood in the Nile, death of the eldest, terrifying plagues. But throughout these plagues, God protects the Israelites. Then Pharaoh lets them go to put an end to this suffering, to end these plagues. And once they approach the Red Sea, trying to work out a cross in the horizon, the Egyptians have come for them. The Israelites in their thousands have left Egypt, but now Pharaoh, with his soldiers and horses, is coming because he doesn't want to let his slaves go. He doesn't want to let his employees who built those pyramids go. Then we see one of the most famous hallmark miracles of the Old Testament. God parts the Red Sea. He parts the Red Sea and the Israelites are able to pass through safely whilst the waters come crashing down on their enemies, the Egyptians who were pursuing them. It's an incredible story. A great movie too if you haven't watched it. Talk to people who just, I've talked to people, sorry, who have just wanted to see a sign from God. You know, just if my boss would just be a bit nicer to me, or, or if I just passed this exam, then, then maybe I'd believe in God. These Israelites witnessed a miracle that none of us in this room would have seen today. They saw a miracle that was for them, that saved them, and demonstrated both God's power and His love for His people. If any of us saw something like this, Leighton Beach parted, the waters opened up and we could walk straight to Rotnest. We would never, ever doubt God again, right? Well, let's see what happens in this story. They pass through the deserts and they travel to the land of Canaan, their home. But when they get there, scouts who go ahead to look at the land find that it is occupied and there are giants in this land. Big, scary people, too big and scary for the Israelites to take on. So they retreat. They turn back into the desert. They didn't trust God with this new hurdle despite everything he had just 
brought them through. And they were left to wander the desert for 40 years before God would leave them again. There's a um, fairly distressing verse in Exodus which really points out the hardening of these people's hearts. In Exodus 16 we read, In the desert the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. It's pretty distressing to think about what they've been through and now what they're saying. They had forgotten what God had done for them. They had hardened their hearts against him. One of the commentaries I was reading to help sort of understand what it means to harden your heart explained it by treating the Lord with contempt, refusal to believe the Lord and choosing to listen to human voices, human voices of despair rather than listening to the voice of God. That's what it means to harden your heart, to listen to the voices of people rather than the voice of the Lord. So this passage here, you can see the the font changes and it's a different setting and that's because it's quoting some scripture in the Old Testament. Now it's referring to Exodus, but it's actually quoting Psalms. See, this isn't the first time this story has been a reminder for the Israelites. This was a story told, a reminder told every day on the Sabbath, each week in the synagogues throughout the thousands of years of Israel's history. It was a sober reminder of what happened to that generation. And this message rung like a bell through Jewish history. How could they let this happen? How could they turn their backs on God? They saw a miracle, a wonder. They were freed by this miracle. How could they let their hearts stray? Can any of us sit here today and say that our hearts have never strayed? How somehow, even though God has done some things in your life, some amazing things in your life, you've had moments where you've cried out in desperation for him, you've found yourself pursuing something else. You've found yourself worshipping something else and being devoted to something else. Perhaps you've heard the gospel a few times now, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, but that's just not bringing out the reaction that that kind of news should. See, right now, your, your life's going pretty good. It's pretty cruisy or it's pretty comfortable or perhaps it's really busy trying to make it comfortable. And somehow God has slipped down your list. You don't know exactly when it happened, but as you're sitting here and you're thinking about the state of your heart, you're thinking, how has God slipped down my list? And you're thinking about some comparisons between yourself and those Israelites. And I think the point is, we're forgetful. We are really forgetful people. And because we're forgetful, we can become complacent. We forget what God has done for us and we forget how much we need him. I had a pretty good example at work which really reminded me of how quickly we can be to forget. I'm a physio and I work down the road at Fiona Stanley and in my uh, time over the last few years I was able to work in the state rehab ward. So this is where you go after you have some seriously horrific and gnarly injuries. Mostly motor vehicle accidents, breaking bones, breaking ribs, arms, legs, back, pelvis, you name it, they've broken it. This place has got people 
with such horrific injuries that their rehab takes years. So we often have people stay there for six to nine months to work through their rehab program. And this one particular chap I remember, who was a young guy from the country, a little bit taller than me and about twice my width. He had hair down to his elbows, but he was clean shaven, just so you can really picture him. Um, he was my favorite patient. He was the smiliest, quietest, humblest guy who unfortunately had a pretty crazy quad bike accident broke his wrist, a bit of his femur, and shattered both his ankles. This guy had metalwork outside of his leg just to hold the bones together. But every day, he would, in his electric wheelchair, wheel himself down to our gym, always on time, morning and afternoon, and he'd get stuck in to whatever I told him to do. So from the start, it was little things, just wiggling the ankle, just trying to bend the knee, using weights as small as his hand, just to try and get his wrist moving. After about six to nine months, this big fella managed to walk 50 meters with a couple of gigantic elbow crutches. And it was a pretty exciting moment. So he was from the country, but he was gonna stay in Perth. So, you know, a little bit like the Hollywood rehab montage, he's gone through the parallel bars and he's walked out the gates with his crutches and he's home. And I thought, what a great story. I can't wait to hear how he's going. So I give him a phone call about a month later. And uh, he's a big Port Adelaide fan, and his ringtone would be the Port Adelaide theme song. And he'd never answer my call, so I, I got to know that theme song pretty well. And he finally answers it, and I say, hey, how's it all going? It's me, the physio from, from hospital. And he goes, oh, hey, Cyrus. Still got my name wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, yeah, it's going all right. I said, what have you been up to? He says, I've been playing some PlayStation. I said, oh, okay. Uh, what about those exercises, all those Sterabands I gave you? How's that going? Oh, my little cousins took all of them and they're all broken now. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, what about your walking? You know, remember we were doing all that awesome walking? And he's like, oh, yeah, the driveway's a bit steep, so uh, I'm not really walking anymore. And I'm thinking, what's going on? This guy was the champion of rehab. He was the king of rehab, my favorite patient. He was doing everything right. And as soon as he left rehab, he just went downhill. Uh, fortunately, we were able to talk as a team and we actually got him to come back in for a stint of a month of rehab. Again, the Hollywood montage to try and get him going again and he, he, has, he has done pretty well. But this particular story really reminded me uh, of some similarities to us as Christians that we can be so forgetful and self-absorbed that we can become complacent and forget about the things we really need. Like a patient no longer in the rehab ward, we as Christians can drift away from God when we aren't surrounded by great support. It might be a, a great small group or church, a really good mentor in your life or a good friend that keeps encouraging you in your walk with God. And sometimes there are seasons in our life when we don't have that. We just don't have those people around us. Um, perhaps it's a season of your life that you're just so busy it's hard to engage with all of that, and you drift away. But the author of Hebrews isn't just letting us shrug that off, that it's too hard, sometimes we just get distracted. No, this is serious stuff. Have a look at verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. This is a matter of our eternity. Uh, in one of the commentaries uh, I had a look at on Hebrews, George Guthrie, he writes that this is a terrifying condition 
a terrifying condition to be in, to find yourself no longer interested in Christ, his word, prayer, worship, missions, and to find all the fleeting pleasures of this world more attractive than his spirit. To find all the fleeting pleasures of this world more attractive than God. It's a terrifying condition to be in. How much has he done for us? How much did he do for those Israelites? Yet we find ourselves focused on the fleeting pleasures and worries of this world. Today's passage here has highlighted to us one of the most famous negative examples of faith. But it also highlights a positive one. The Hebrew church knew the name of Moses very well. Again, their ties were with Jewish uh, roots, and that was their history, and so the name of Moses was a household name. And we, uh, we know Moses' story. We, we might not always hold him as high as the Jews did, but he is high in the, in the story um, of the Bible. He was the faithful one who led the Israelites out of Egypt. He was the faithful one who was frustrated as they wandered. But Moses' faithfulness points to something greater. Moses' faithfulness points to something greater. In verse 3, we read, For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Now, this positive example of faith has two parts to it. It's got Moses, but it's also got Jesus, who is considered greater. And a comparison is made between the two of them. Have a look at verse 5 and verse 6. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Moses was faithful in God's house as a servant. There's a comparison here between a servant and a son. And as I said, what Moses points to is Jesus. In verse 5, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. Jesus is faithful over God's house as a son. And although a servant is important for the runnings of a house, the operations, and the need for a servant to be faithful is extremely important, a son has an entirely different level of importance. The son's role over the house includes ownership. It's a greater role. See, compare the two of them. Moses, he was obedient to God when he faced Pharaoh. Jesus was obedient to God when he faced the cross. Moses was faithful when he freed the Israelites from Egypt. Jesus is faithful when he frees us from the curse of sin. Moses was trying to bring the Israelites home to the land of Canaan, but they didn't trust him. Jesus is trying to bring us home to heaven, will we trust him? How is your heart? How's your heart going at the moment? Do you have soft heart? Do you have a tender heart? Are you loving and receptive to God's word? Are you listening to God and following in every aspect of your life? Or has your heart hardened against the Lord? Perhaps you're starting to listen to your colleagues, to listen to your friends, to listen to the world rather than listening to God. Perhaps it's your own thoughts and your own ideas of how life should go that are starting to form the way you live. 
And the story of the Israelites reminds us our hearts are a lot worse off than we can even realise. But the story of Christ reminds us that we are more loved than we could ever imagine. And it's hard not to let your heart get hardened. It's hard. The author of Hebrews knew this, otherwise he wouldn't have ever preached this word. And there's so many different reasons in our life that our hearts can go astray. We're distracted, we're busy, Um, maybe there's a sin in our life that keeps tempting us and it seems too hard to resist. Uh, Maybe you've suffered, maybe some bad things have gone on in your life and you've found yourself um, blaming God instead of leaning on Him. Perhaps you're just well off, perhaps life's good and you're so comfortable that all of a sudden you've found yourself relying on your own situation, your own strengths and you don't actually sort of see the need for God in the day-to-day. So how do we do it? How do we keep ourselves from having hardened hearts? How do we keep these soft hearts, these hearts that are receptive to God? Well, I think there are a hundred answers. I think there are a lot of ways that we can do that. We can pray. We can go to church like we've all done this morning. We can listen to worship music. We can be in God's nature. We can walk around and look at the beauty of His creation. We can read through Scripture. Read through the Psalms, the Proverbs. Read the Gospels, the story of Christ. We can write things down. You can write things down. The times in your life when you needed God. The times in your life where God was looking after you. It's not that hard to find God when you actually stop when you actually pause and you earnestly seek Him. Pause to think about the things He's done in your life. Pause and be thankful. He's only a prayer away, and we know that from the book of James, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. And verse 13 is another very important way of dealing with this. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Exhort one another. That's to encourage each other, to bring to the focus of each other's mind the need to follow the living God. And this is where the work needs to happen. Now, you've got to be careful here because we don't need to work on our salvation. No, that's what Jesus has done. What we need to work on is to continuously remind ourselves of what he has done, that we have been saved, that we've been saved from sin, from brokenness, from hopelessness and restored to a right relationship with our Creator, that we may have eternal rest and eternal peace with the Lord. That's what we have to work on, to be thankful and we have to persevere. So just to recap a little bit, we've got a negative example of what not to do. We've got a positive example of what to do. We've got this negative example with the Israelites in the wilderness, and we've got this positive example with Moses, and that Jesus is greater than him. Moses led them out of the desert, led them out of Egypt, but Jesus leads us to life. And then we have our response. How do we respond? And we're forgetful. We are forgetful humans, and we need to realise that. And we need to realise how much help we need to keep us from going astray. 
But we can respond and we've got lots of ways to do it. We've got to work at it, we've got to rem work to remember and work on being thankful. Uh, just to close, I want to mention some thought-provoking lyrics from a song which I think can help illustrate the effect of how we can, uh, the effect we can have on other people when we are faithful, particularly through hard times. Uh, Aussie rock band Gang of Youths uh, won the ARIA for Best Album a couple of years ago, played around the corner at Frio Art Centre last year, managed to see them. Their lead singer, he's an interesting guy, and he's had a bit to do with Christianity in his time, um, namely with Hillsong Church and some of the band members too. And he's faced a bit of suffering in his time. And he writes this song called Persevere. Persevere. And it's about a conversation between him and a friend who's a Christian. So the lead singer is not calling himself a Christian, just has had some Christian experiences. Um, and this Christian friend of his has just lost a baby. So unfortunately gave birth to a stillborn baby at eight and a half months. The little baby's name was Emmy. And it's uh, late one night and the two of them are just sitting in a car, chatting away, chewing the fat. And the conversation turns to God. And the singer throws his mate a few lines about how he doesn't think God exists. And his friend just smiles and takes a dignified pause. And he says, it's okay to feel unbelievably lost. But God is full of grace and his faithfulness is vast. There is safety in the moments when things hit the fan. He's not some vindictive guy, nor is he bad at his job. And what words to hear for the singer. He's a mess. This guy, in his grieving, in his suffering, has more faith, more belief than he has ever possessed. His friend says that... Um, he assures him and he, and he says through some tears that you've got to persevere. See, we need to persevere. We need to keep reminding each other, reminding ourselves to hold confidence in our hope. And when you realise that your heart is, is hardening towards God, maybe it's because you've been distracted by this world or maybe it's because you've gone through some hard times, we need to persevere and remember what he's done for us and how much he loves us so we can stop our heart from being hardened. Our final verse in verse 14 sums it up nicely. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Let's pray for that. Dear Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this book of Hebrews, for the, uh, the hallmark verses that, that ring true for us as Christians about faith, about hope. We thank you, Lord, that although there's so much in our life and in this world that's distracting us or, or making life difficult for us, you're always there. You're in there in the whisper. You're in there in the quiet moments and you're not that hard to find. Lord, I pray for people here this morning who maybe are feeling themselves distant from you, feeling a, a hardened heart against you, that you can just break that down and soften their heart, meet them in their moment, of silence and prayer and thoughtfulness and break those barriers, Lord, so that they can feel the joy of what you've done for us. Uh, pray for the rest of this morning and in Jesus' name, amen.